0: welcome. Welcome to Grace Life, where it has nothing to do with this body. It only has to do with the body, in Christ alone, the name of Jesus. Can we just give the Lord another applause offering? <laughs> He's given him the name that is above every name. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. I just... I appreciate you guys, the praise team. I appreciate the efforts and the spirit that they bring every week. And I appreciate getting my focus right where it needs to be every Sunday morning. And that is on Christ alone. So we're glad you're here. We're glad that you are part of this body. Some of you may have lost body parts over the years. If you haven't, imagine if you did. Imagine if you lost a limb in, a, in an accident or something. I've read stories about phantom pains and, and reaching for something after you've lost the bottom half of your arm. That's how, that's how the body of Christ works, where it's just it's not the same when we're not together. You know, I've been thinking about this recently with community groups starting up and the whole point of community groups, doing life together, being that whole body so whether you're joining us online, you're still part of the body. Whether you're here in the auditorium, for the people that are back here, ministering and leading our kids in worship, we're all part of this. So I'm glad you're here. I hope that you're glad you're here. And if you're not glad you're here, you can get a hard check. Um, if you'd like to, <laughs> if you'd like to connect with us, scan the QR code. You can go to the church center app. You can go to the church website. There's all kinds of things that you can. Get involved in that you can see. You can also see the scripture reading for today. But before we get to that, let's do the Grace Life welcome. To all who mourn and need comfort, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and need strength, to all who sin and need a Savior, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness and to whoever else will come. Grace Life Church opens wide her doors in the name of Jesus Christ and offers welcome, the only name that matters, the only name that means anything. I think it can be really easy as we go through that welcome to sort of pigeonhole yourself. And this Sunday, I feel like this part applies to me, and this Sunday, I feel like that part applies to me. Throughout the course of just about every day, Every single one of those lines applies to me somehow, and I'm reminded how desperately I need my Savior, I need redemption. So let's look at Romans 8, because there's an answer for that, and this to me is one of the most encouraging passages in Scripture. I'm excited to hear Pastor Tommy this morning. We're going to read Romans chapter 8. Verses 28 through 30 together, it's on the screen if you don't have a device or your Bible with you. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified.
1: Well, good morning. My name's Tommy. I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Life. If I have not had the privilege of meeting you yet, I hope uh, for the opportunity to do so after the service. I'm so excited for today. I'm so excited for this passage. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited for what God has for all of us. Uh, So before we get started, I want to ask for his help because we need it every day, every moment of every day. And sometimes we have the wherewithal to stop and say that out loud to him or, or secretly whisper it in our heart. Lord, I need you right now. Will you come? Will you bless us? Will you help us? So let's do that together. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge our need for you. As Mike said, we desperately need our Savior. We are continually being rescued. We have been justified, and and that portion of our redemption covers our sins, past, present, future, Lord. We have been saved from the penalty of our sins. We are being rescued. We're being saved from the power of our sins, Lord, and we will be rescued ultimately. We will be saved from the presence of our sins when we are glorified and our feet are placed on this redeemed planet and a resurrected body. So, Lord, salvation covers all of all of history, all of eternity. Thank you that um, you will complete the good work you began in us, God. You're not going to leave that work off. It's not up to chance or fate or luck or any of those things, Lord. Um It is being controlled and directed and accomplished by a person who is ultimately trustworthy and powerful and good and wise and sovereign. And we are going to just think about those attributes of God today in this passage. And I need your help, Lord. I feel like this is uh, as glorious and as encouraging and powerful as this is. It's also intimidating to, to wrap our minds around all these truths, Lord. These are things that baffle the human mind. We're not accustomed to thinking about our lives this way about how they're directed, bad things that happen, good things that happen, Lord, how out of control of, of life and history we are. We need your help. I pray that these truths don't feel threatening to us. I pray that they feel encouraging because they are. They're promises that come from the, the nail-scarred hands of the one who loved us so much he gave himself for us in a sacrificial and condescending act that just baffles the mind to consider. So please be with us in the next few minutes, Lord, that we're going to look at this passage together. Help us remove any distraction from our thinking. I pray that we wouldn't just go down a, a mental rabbit trail, something maybe that, that we don't get to talk about today, uh, something that we want to explain more deeply or more accurately, Lord, but, but just we're pressed against human limitations. I pray that we would focus, Lord, on the part of this passage that you want us to focus on today and, be, and walk away changed, helped, encouraged, maybe challenged too, Lord, as we align our thinking with, with your thinking, Lord, our ways are not your ways. Your ways are so much higher than ours, God. And uh, when our way of thinking comes up in resistance against yours, either we abandon our thoughts and embrace yours or, or we challenge yours and uh, help us to, to do the right thing today, Lord, when we come to this passage. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, leave your, leave your Bible open and full disclosure. This is a two-part sermon, okay? One part today, two part next week. We're just going to consider one part of this today. Verse 28, that's where we're going to camp out. You already knew that. I didn't need to tell you that, did I? And no, I don't, I'm, we're not going to do this with every verse in Romans. And uh, don't start doing the math and thinking we're in chapter 8 and there's this many more verses. Is he going to give a sermon to every verse? Maybe, but no. No, I'm not going to do that. Sometimes we take bigger sections. Sometimes we take smaller sections. But uh, I just felt the Spirit of God leading me. I don't, I've never preached on this verse, as far as I know. I've mentioned it, I've referenced it, surely used it as an illustration, but we've never just uh, explored together. We've never just put our headlight on our, our one of those, you know, cave, cave beams on our helmet and splunkered down into this darkness and just looked around. It's not dark, it's, it's ultimately light. So today, just one verse, it's going to be this verse right here. So I'm going to read that again together slowly. You can read it out loud with me if you want to. This is the English Standard Version. It's a very accurate translation from Greek into English, and that's why we use it here, and we actually have some copies of that Bible in hardback. I don't know if we have them here today. we got some at our office. If you'd like a copy of God's Word to study without having to use a smartphone or a device, I understand that. I read the Bible at my house holding it in my hand, and that's not a legalistic attitude I take toward Scripture reading. It's just I find it more helpful and less distracting to do that. And we'd love to help you by putting a copy of that in your hands. So, so let me know if you need a copy and we'll and we'll, we'll get one in your hands. But for today, use whatever you have or just follow along. Let's, let's read it. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. This is one of the most profound statements that the Apostle Paul ever made. It's also one of the most comforting statements in the entire Bible. And there's really nothing higher, I think, than considering this. This is, this is ultimate doctrine. And I hope that today this is not just something for, uh, for us to elevate our intellectual altitude or something for philosophy discussions. This is, this is where life and doctrine meet. Uh, and I know there's some people say, we don't need to talk about theology. Thankfully, I've never met anybody like that here at Grace Life. You know, sometimes we go deep. Sometimes we put our scuba gear on, as Jeff Eckert, my buddy, used to say. Sometimes we, uh, you know, we're not snorkeling, we're scuba diving. And I've never heard anybody complain about that here. Um, if we say that, you know, we don't, we don't need doctrine, we just need to live a good life. Would well, you realize that that statement in and of itself is a doctrine? We just need to live a, live a good life, and it's a bad doctrine. It's, the, it's salvation by works is what that is, you know that? We don't need to talk about doctrine. We just need to live a good life. Well, that's your doctrine. Doctrine is just another word for truth. Um, we need doctrine. We need theology. We need truth. Or there's people say, we don't need doctrine. We just need to love Jesus. And, and then you could follow up, okay, well, which, which Jesus do we need to love? Well, well the Jesus that came, well, uh, you're about to get doctrinal, Right? You see, we need doctrine, we need theology, and the Bible offers that to us, and and we desperately need it. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite preachers, said this about this passage in the Bible. He said, there is no greater privilege on earth than, than to be allowed to examine a statement such as this. Man, I feel that way. I feel like, and I have so many things I want to say this morning, even by way of introduction, but I don't want to waste our time. Thank you for letting me be your pastor. I cannot think... For me, personally, this is, this. is I'm not throwing shade on anybody else's vocational calling. They're all divine. God, I'm amazed as I see the diversity in this body of the callings and the vocational vocations and the careers and the interest that God has called so many different people to, and it, and it makes my heart happy because we're all living on mission for Jesus, and we're being salt and light in places that not just one of us could be for everybody else, right? Um and at the same time, I look at what God has called me to and I thank him for the privilege and I thank you. You are so encouraging and you are so affirming to me to give me the time to study and to think very deeply about these things and to prepare sermons and to lead this congregation and to lead, provide structure for our leadership. There's, there's not a greater privilege or calling that I could be called to do than this. So, so thank you. It's a joy. It's a joy to be your pastor. And this is one of God's greatest promises because it has teeth. Not sharp teeth, but just teeth teeth that reach out and grab you and say, look, this matters. This is relevant. This is not just high, esoteric, scholastic, academic doctrine. This hits us where we live and where we die. This verse, every single person sitting here this morning and, and, and listening from home, this is ultimately relevant to your life. I mean, I, pr- I pray that the Holy Spirit of God will help us make application as the seed that there is nothing outside the sphere of God's influence or control or might or power or sovereignty or authority in our lives. Nothing is random. Nothing is incidental. Nothing is accidental. Nothing in your life is a happy accident. Nothing is left to chance and blind fate or luck or karma or may the odds be ever in your favor or any of that nonsense. God is saying everything that is planned into your life was planned there from all eternity from a wise, a loving, a holy, a sovereign God who is faithful. And that plays itself out in your life in a variety of ways, and some of which are painful and hard. And affliction happens, and trouble, and tribulation, and agony, and loss, and bereavement, and pain, and deprivation. And God says none of those things are random. None of those things are senseless. In fact, that's kind of our outline today. I should just go ahead and get to this. We often feel like we're in the dark and we never really know what's going on when trouble comes. We may say something like, why me? Why this? Why now? What does it mean? Could anything good possibly come out of this? How could God do this to me? It feels random, it feels like it doesn't have any meaning, you feel deceived, you feel like it's a sucker punch by God or a gut punch. You ever feel that way? And so today I put the outline, it may sound negative, but I put it in negatives because I want to kind of bust some myths. And some of these you even find uh, amongst Christians who are talking about the pain in their life, right? So three myth-busting truths that this text opens up up for us and here they are number one we are not ignorant and that means much more than, than we're not intelligent i don't even mean it in an intellectual way i mean it in a revelation way we're not ignorant as to the the purpose that god has in our lives for the adversity that he's planned for us we're not ignorant we know exactly what it's for we not we may not know the specifics but we know in general what god is doing in our life we know his purpose this passage tells us god has a good purpose for every hard thing in your life, for every bad thing in your life. This doesn't say that all things are good. Certainly not not all things are good. The Holocaust was terrible. The loss of that child was terrible. Your depression was terrible. The betrayal was terrible. The cancer diagnosis, terrible. Lots of things are terrible, but God says all things work together. That's the word for synergy in English. That means things that are cooperating together and Obviously, the power and the wisdom behind it is a person, it's God. It's not just the universe is tilted in your favor. That, that's, that's nonsense when it, when it comes to Scripture. Uh, when, you, when you look at the universe, you, wouldn't, you couldn't possibly arrive at that conclusion. You have to find it in the Bible. That's what this is talking about. So, there's the outline. We are not ignorant. Life is not random. Suffering is not senseless. Number one, we are not ignorant. And this is a quick point. And you know that's a lie too, don't you? <laughs> Especially the first point. This is, this is a point I shouldn't have to make, but I want to. I don't want to leave anything out. Maybe this is the first time you ever even knew, Maybe you didn't even know this verse was in your Bible. Man, what a happy day for you. you. You are about to be, what's about to be placed in your hands by God, not by me, is one of the most comforting, uh, galvanizing, fortifying redemptive truths that you could ever have. That's why the title of this message is God's Greatest Promise. This really is God's Greatest Promise. At least it's the the grassroots from which ultimate promise of Christ comes from, right? It's death, burial, resurrection. This says we know. That's really interesting to me. As hard as it is for some people to receive this or believe this, especially when it comes to suffering, uh, Paul assumes that the congregation at Rome which, by the way, were relatively new Gentile converts. They may not have been as familiar with the Old Testament as obviously as Paul was or the Jewish nation was. Paul assumes they've already been taught this. This has already been apostolic doctrine that's been introduced to them, or if they had a scroll of the Old Testament, they should know this. We know this. We don't suppose this. We don't speculate. We're not hoping. This is not wishful thinking or whistling in the dark. We know these things already. We know this. This is not, by the way, the only place we ever find this truth in the Bible about God working all the things, especially the tragedy, the heartache, the affliction, the trouble, the pain in our life, and forming it into something redemptive, something good, something purposeful. This is not the only place in the Bible that we hear this or read about that. I'll show us a few more. I think the ultimate one is Joseph's brothers. Do you remember whenever Joseph met his brothers after they had betrayed him? they had sold him into slavery, into Egypt. They had abandoned him for money, for greed. One of them even wanted to kill him. They were so jealous of the favor that their father, Jacob, had shown him. So they sold him to a a band of Midianites. He was sold into Egypt, right? He was a slave. And then he was falsely accused of a crime by somebody in a high-ranking position, Potiphar and his wife. So then he was thrown into prison for 27 years. Think of Joseph. Psalm 105 talks about Joseph when he was in prison, when he was in irons, he was crying out, he was suffering, he was in agony. It was a terrible thing. And then he was released from prison, and he became Pharaoh's right hand. And you know the story, right, in Genesis. And there was a famine. There was a famine in all the land, and Jacob sent his sons, Joseph's brothers, to go to Egypt and to get grain. And when they were there, uh, eventually Joseph recognized them, And there was this back and forth, and the time comes where he finally reveals his identity. And they're scared to death. They're like, oh boy, we sold this guy into slavery. We sold him down the river. He's the most powerful man under Pharaoh in all of Egypt. We're done. We're done for. We're gone. And then he tells him, hey, don't be afraid. And listen to this. This is is the profound declaration in the Old Testament that I think shadows uh, or points toward the New Testament cross and resurrection. He says... Don't worry, don't be afraid. As for you, you meant evil against me. In other words, what they did, they're responsible for ultimately. And I should say that. This doesn't relieve any of us of the responsibility or culpability for sin. Um, Joseph's brothers were responsible and guilty for what they did. They did it with full knowledge. It was malicious. It was hateful. It was driven by greed and jealousy and envy. And he knows that. And he's not relieving them responsibility But he is telling them a greater backdrop truth behind it. He says, look, you meant this for evil against me, but God meant it for good. Now, that is just mind-blowing. You just think about that. Think of all the terrible things that happened to Joseph. And if I could just underline that one statement, God meant it. Does that blow your mind? Does that make you just want to go crawl onto your bed and, and put tin foil over your head and say, I want to think about this for a while? You mean God meant for that to happen? Yes, he did. God planned that into Joseph's life. Well, what, why, why did God, God sin? No, no, the Bible says God is not the author of sin, nor does he tempt us to evil. But listen, God is sovereign. He is directing history. He's orchestrating. That's a beautiful word, by the way, if you think about it. I don't know about you, I love symphony music. I love orchestras. I love listening to that when I study. Any music without words is usually good music for me because I'm so distracted but if you think of an orchestra think of a symphony you think of all these different instruments right stringed instruments brass percussion keyboards and all all beautiful in their own rights but what an orchestrator does is he he takes this one and he he blends all this music together into the beautiful tapestry of noise and sound that's what god is saying through the mouth of joseph he says you meant this for evil You did this because of hate and jealousy and envy, and it was sinful. But God meant the same things that you did. God meant those for good in order to save many people alive today as it is. Isn't that interesting? God had a deep, mysterious, wonderful, redemptive purpose for all the sin and the heartache and the suffering that Joseph went through. Now, Joseph may not have known that at the time. God gave him dreams. He said, hey, one day, your whole family is going to come and bow down before you. And they laughed. They said, hey, let's see what becomes of this dreamer. Don't you know Joseph wanted to say, ha, told (laughs) you? Because that's what they did. They came and they bowed down. Surely Joseph, can you imagine the mind-blowing moment when that happened? His brothers came. They didn't know who he was. They bowed down to him and begged him for grain. Oh, my word. I would have been like, hey, ta-da, I'm Joseph, and you're dead, (laughs) right? But he didn't. He forgave them. Maybe God brought to his mind, you remember the dream? You remember my promise, Joseph? All of this I intended for your good for the good of many people, to spare their life, to rescue them, to save them. So this is not the only place that we see this truth in the Bible. And, and Genesis 50 verse 20 is not the only place we see this truth in the Bible. We see it all over the place. There's a passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 14 that says this, In the day of prosperity be joyful, but in the day of adversity consider, Has not God done the one as well as the other? In other words, when good things happen to us, the, the things that we ascribe good to, oh this is good. You know, I won the lottery, and I hope you don't gamble. But anyway, I'm just that's just an, you know, whatever good thing comes your way, this is great. I declare this is good because I can actually see the good in it. And God says, that's good. Be joyful. He says, but the adversity, I'm bringing that too, and it has a good purpose that you don't see, but you're going to have to trust me. How many people this morning can find some adversity in your life? if you looked not very hard at all things you wish weren't there a thorn in your flesh a pain something that's agonizing to you it vexes you you think it's hindering your effectiveness for god you think it's a restriction and you wish god would take it away because it's hurting the cause and god says through this verse i put that there even though sin may have brought it i, I without being the author of sin god so planned that into your life for a very good and redemptive purpose. And, and look, just to give, to give you a, uh, what's that called? Whenever you reveal something you shouldn't for a movie. I forget. Spoiler alert, Spoiler alert. yeah, for next week. You got to come back for me to elaborate on this. I'm going to share a secret with you. Do you know what the good purpose is? It's not just so you can uh, maybe have more money or get well or have more friends. or Just think of all the, the horizontal good things that can come out of, you know, something that's afflictive, God says, I have an even deeper purpose than that. It's to make you look like Jesus. It's so that you would look more like Jesus. I'm so committed to that. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm willing to plan whatever I need to plan into your life. As painful as it may be for you, as confusing as it may be to you, as agonizing as it may be to you, I've planned it into your life so that you'll look more like Jesus, and that's good for everybody. It's good for you. It, it honors my son. It's good for the people around you. I mean, this can, you, can, you can make small uh, applications with this, funny applications. Why are those weird, quirky people in your life <laughs> that you wish? Hey, don't give me that holy look, guys. <laughs> Everybody has a weird, quirky person. All right. <laughs> if you don't have a weird, quirky person, you are the weird, quirky person. <laughs> Matt, I think you gave me that. Thank you, buddy. That weird neighbor, that weird friend, that weird family member, that weird pastor, <laughs> that weird person in your community, that weird person in your d-group. Like, Lord, I didn't want this person in my d-group. God says, I did. For them and for you. <laughs> so embrace it. This, this galvanizes you. This fortifies you. This helps you embrace the affliction in your life with humility and i dare say at times maybe if god shows you on this side of eternity he doesn't have to what it's for with gratitude and with celebration and joy saying i don't know what in the world this is for god loves me so much he brought this into my life and who am i to shake my fist at god i'm not going to do what job's wife told him to do curse god and die remember that no what did job say he said though god slay me i will trust him and i and i love the way this is this is framed Man, every word, every phrase is important in the Bible. He says, for those that love God. He could have said it a hundred different ways. For all Christians, for those who believe, for those who are in Christ, he said that all throughout Romans, but he uses something very different here. This unsettles some people because it leaves a question mark. Well, how do I know if I love God and do I love him enough? And this is just another way for the Apostle Paul to say, look, this is real for people who, for whom Christ is their is their most precious treasure right th- th- these are for people who are the opposite of what verse 7 in Romans 8 says for those that are, that are at enmity with God they're not subject to God's law they don't follow Jesus they don't obey God they care nothing about the will or the plan or the commandments of God no th- this this on the other side of that this is a promise this is a truth that's a gift for god's people that are following jesus and that love god if that's true of you and listen you're you're here today you, you care at least about one thing that god cares about gathering together with god's people be, being god's people in god's place under god's rule enjoying god's blessing right that's a quick summary of what it means to be a christian at some level so these are truths that we are shouldn't be ignorant of this is for for us for those that love god and it says we know this we don't speculate, we don't guess, we don't hope. We know that all things work together for good. So hopefully that will help you if you think, ah, you know, man, that's a hard truth. I'm not really sure about that. Paul says you should be. <laughs> this is not one of those truths you need to question and scratch your head about and debate and research the rest of your life. You should take this as God's good gift to you. It is a tremendous promise that has carried God's people through very dark times in their life, both in the Bible, like Joseph, and I can give you a hundred examples, and I will give you some a little bit later in this passage. This this calls the writer of Habakkuk to say, though the fig tree should not blossom. no. by the way, this whole list here are things that would have been staple in the life of a Jew in Israel, ultra important things. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there will be no herd in the stalls. In other words, economic catastrophe. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. I think that's another reason why it's phrased for those that love God. Because I believe so often when adversity hits, that is a real test for where your loyalty lies. What you really care about the most deeply. And the most sincerely this is what one person said i believe paul had a special reason for using the term love rather than the term believing at this point point. one of the best ways we can decide if we love god or not is our reaction to adversity maybe you just love the idea of god maybe to you god was somebody who was in your debt you live a good life and then god blesses you in ways that you deem appropriate he blesses you with maybe wealth or popularity or power or beauty or success A fat checkbook, whatever it is. That's not the way it works. God blesses you with his son, right? With his love, with his presence, with his promises. There's no divine secret to why adversity happens to us. This is, again, this is not for philosophers and for people in a classroom. This is, Romans 8 is like staple Christianity 101, This is, this is, these are promises for every Christian in every place for every time. I love that, man. This is not something we're supposed to doubt or argue about. Thank God for that. So I pray that this is, I pray this is good food for everybody and that everybody leaves chewing on this, man. This may not be the five-star restaurant that you get served from, but that's good food, man. This is bread from heaven that God wants to feed us with today. A father who lost his child was told by another Christian who thought he would salvage God's reputation in that tragedy, he said, my friend, God had nothing to do with this, as he put his hand on the father's back. And that father kind of jerked away and he said, why in the world would you take the one comforting truth that I'm holding on to and deprive me of it? God had nothing to do with this. How absurd is that, Man. His eye is on the sparrow. The hairs of your head are numbered. He sees the eyes of the Lord are in every place, right? Keeping watch on the good and the evil. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole whole earth, looking to show himself powerful on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal toward him. God is is ultimately sovereign, and he's on his throne. And that means there is not one, as R.C. Sproul said, there is not one rogue, maverick, molecule that's outside of the sphere of His authority or control or influence. There's not a person, there's not an animal, there's not a creature that's either visible or invisible in the air, on the earth, under the earth that's outside of God's control. There's not a word, a thought, or a deed that is not somehow orchestrated into the divine tapestry of history. And that's point number two, I need to get there. Life is not random. Your life... Let me me personalize that. I got to do a better job of these points. Your life, Christian, your life, lover of Jesus, is not random. It's not random. That means there's a Shakespeare, uh, I don't know what play, maybe Macbeth or something, where Shakespeare, one of the lines is, Life is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury and signifying nothing. And that would have represented in Shakespeare's day and in ours what some people think about their life. That is just random. It's just, it doesn't mean anything. It's just random. It's just happenstance. It's just serendipitous or whatever word you want to use. That's not true. History is not a cycle, even though we see patterns. History is linear. And do you know what I mean by that? I mean history has already been written, and God is guiding it and orchestrating it to its ultimate conclusion. Every part, every piece, every tragedy, every affliction... In your life, not just the big things globally, historically, like a holocaust or a war, but the small things. There's a song that I loved. It's written by a group called Caveman's Call. I, I used When I became a Christian, they were like the happening thing. And some of those songs I still find myself clinging to. And here's some lyrics from one of the songs. I'm not going to sing it. I really want to, though. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, I will. I think I will, Michael. Thank you says, well, this day's been crazy, but everything's happened on schedule, from the rain and the cold to the drink that I spilled on my shirt, because you knew how you'd save me before I fell dead in the garden, and you knew this day long before you made me out of dirt. Isn't that good? I you. And, I, and I'll thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all day. <laughs> <laughs> now, listen. These truths in Romans eight go much deeper than coffee spilled on your shirt or a cold rainy morning, but but they include that too. The things that are small that matter to you, they matter to God and they're included. This verse is so far reaching, so far reaching. The things that you think are just not significant enough for a high and majestic and a sovereign God to notice, he does, he notices that. I love all the stories in the New Testament where Christ went out and extended his hand of mercy and compassion to people that society didn't give a rip about. The, the one that blows my mind, this is not in the notes, but you remember there was a widow at Cain, and she was having the funeral for her only son. A widow, no longer, think about that. In the New Testament era, you're done. Nobody is looking out for you. You lost your husband already, you were a widow, but you had this son, now he died. So, you're toast. You're toast in that, in, in the ancient Near East. You're, nobody's going to help you. And the very moment she is walking out with a funeral tear behind her, Christ encounters the funeral. Oh, what a happy accident, man. Who planned that? <laughs> you remember that? He's like the, the funeral crasher, Jesus is. And he walks up, and he says, Young man, I say to you, arise. <laughs> and that, and that young man r- r- risen from the grave and restored to his mother. What what must that widow have thought on that day? I, to me, what did it take for the Son of God's feet to cross her path at that very moment right at the conclusion of that funeral? I mean, you, if you're a mathematician or you want to do the, the if you, you believe in chance or luck or fate or any of that, that was all planned from all eternity. However, he died, you know, It's just crazy, man. To me, John MacArthur said this once. He said, If you consider Providence, which is not the capital of Rhode Island, theologically speaking, (laughs) Providence is simply God governing His creation, okay? Guiding history, yours and mine included, to its ultimate conclusion. If you consider Providence, it's more miraculous than miracles, (laughs) right? Because it's all these contingencies and possibilities, they're endless. Like even the fact that every single one of you are here right now seated in this building at this time in central Florida in 2022 with a possible hurricane coming next Wednesday at 8 p.m., right? It's just mind-blowing. God is working out his good plan. Nobody is able to thwart it. That's so comforting to me. Nobody is able. Nobody is powerful enough. Satan can't do it. And nobody else is guiding your life. The church certainly isn't, right? Right? Washington's not. <laughs> Nashville's not. It's uh no man, God entrusts those things only to himself. I love that. One of my kids, not want to throw them under the bus here, but they're being really kind to me. And before they go to bed on Saturday, I'm up late on Saturday nights. Or if they're leaving before I'm I've printed out my notes on Sunday, they'll say something like, Daddy, good luck on your sermon. And that's a, that's a kind gesture from a little kid, isn't it? And it's also a, a teachable moment for me. And I say, thank you, um, but we don't believe in luck. I'm not trusting in luck today. I'm not hoping a leprechaun or a four-leaf clover or a rabbit's foot gets thrown my way. And if a black cat crosses my path on the way to church, it doesn't scare me. And if I walk under a ladder you know, in the lobby on the way to the pulpit, those those, those things aren't for Christians. And they shouldn't be for the rest of the world. We know better than that, don't we? It's, I'm trusting in God, so I, I, I think that sweet child that says that, and, and it's a moment of gentle correction too, it's, it's that fate and luck and chance, those things don't factor into our lives. Our lives have been planned out by one who is wise and who is sovereign, who is good, who is faithful, who is generous, generous who understands us. That should not, you should not feel threatened by that at all. Here's what should threaten you if nobody's in charge of your life, or worse, if you are, (laughs) right? How many good things have you planned? Would you have planned the hardships into your life? Hey, some of the craziest things in my life that I would have never written in have been the best things, like a DWI when I was 21, one of the most humiliating, embarrassing things that ever happened to me, and God used that providentially to unite me more closely to my family, to get me back in church, ultimately to open my eyes to my hypocrisy, because I was going to church when this happened, who knows what I was doing? I may be sitting and drunk, sitting and drunk, half-churched, uh, sitting in church half-lit. Some of the time, I'm not, I'm embarrassed to tell you that as your pastor. Hey, if you knew the things that God, if you knew the redemptive work in your pastor's life, right? God used that in an incredible way. And then I didn't grow up here. I lived in Arkansas. And do you know, do you know the crazy thing that happened to me that led me here ultimately? I mean, ultimately, I say ultimately, God, an overflowing toilet in a man's house in Ormond Beach. I'm serious. I'm not going to tell you who made the toilet overflow, okay? It overflowed all night, ruined his whole first floor flooring. And I was staying with him for a vacation. I didn't even know the guy was a pastor when I came there to stay with him. I was kind of tricked into it his toilet overflowed all night. The next morning, he said, oh my word, what are we going to do? And I said, well, I install flooring. Call your insurance company. Let's get this floor ripped up. And uh, we started planning this out, and then it was time to go home. And he said, hey, would you, <laughs> would you be interested in replacing my floor? And I'm like, I would if I didn't live 900 miles away, and all my tools were there. And he said, what if I flew you up here? And uh, you, know, you get another vacation next to the beach, and I said, sure, I'll come up there, so I came up, put his flooring down, spent a week with him, came to find out he was, cared about me, he wanted to disciple me, and he, he ultimately invited me to come and live with him, and I did for seven years, and the rest is, is history. Now, look, that was just one little bitty thing maybe God was doing through an overflowing toilet, and, and I, but I, it's just, it blows my mind when I think about it. This, this, is a great, this is a great verse to lay over your life as a filter to just remind yourself God's love, God's sovereignty, God's goodness, God's wisdom plan these things out for me. He's entrusting this suffering to me because it has a great, it has an incredible purpose. This is going to make me somehow look more like Jesus. That's God's intended. There's a verse in um, James 5.11. It says, "You've you've heard of the patience and the suffering of Job, and you've seen the Lord's intended purpose, that he is compassionate and he's loving. It's amazing. You see all the stuff in Job and you see God's purpose was to show how kind he is and how loving and how patient and, and gracious he is. It's, there's always a life is not random. There, there is a purpose. There is meaning to it. It's not a happy accident. We know all good things do not work for good by themselves. They work together. God is working them together. The Bible knows nothing of a frustrated God. There's so many verses I could quote to you. I don't don't want to do endless proof texting up here, but Psalm 115, verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He has done whatever you pleased. No, that's not what that says. What's it say? For our God is in the heavens. He has done whatever He pleases. And trust me, what God's good pleasure is, is ultimately what's best for us. When we're thinking clearly, we wouldn't have it any other way. Whenever Nebuchadnezzar was rejecting God's power and his authority and his goodness in his life. Remember what God did to chasten him? He turned him into a wild animal for seven years. Like an ox, he ate grass and he grew long claws and long hair and feathers like an eagle. It must have been crazy to look at him, man. Like, can you imagine for seven years, I demand to see Nebuchadnezzar. And they're like, trust me, bro, he's not available right now. He's in he's in the back of the palace <laughs> and you hear, back back there. But whenever he came to his senses at the end of seven years, it says that his understanding was restored to him, and I believe it's in chapter four, verse thirty-five. He said, basically, uh, God can do whatever He wants; no man can say to Him, "What have you done?" Nobody can stay His hand, and that's a good confession from him. He's not resentful when he says it. He says, "I had, I got what was coming to me, and I'm glad God did it because now." Uh, even more majesty, His Majesty has been restored to me, and I, and I see God is glorious, and I want to follow Him. I want to serve Him. Now, look, I'll, I I want to be clear here. That doesn't. This is not an invitation for you to endlessly speculate into into every affliction and suffering that comes into your life to find a silver lining, or especially the suffering of others. This is not really the verse. Do you want to walk up when somebody's just been bereaved of a child or just gotten a severe diagnosis and say, "Hey, praise God! All things work together for good," right? Haven't we, haven't we, been on the receiving end of that, or maybe been on the delivering end of that? There's a time for this when God brings that person. Maybe when they come and ask you. Uh, but for the time being, we weep with those who weep. Right? We wait. We're patient. We cry with them. We hold their hand. We hug it. We hug it out with them. This is not an invitation to endlessly speculate. Uh, in fact, there's just a story, I've told this before, forgive me if, if, if I have, I don't want to bore you, kick a dead horse here. There was a young girl, beautiful young girl, her name was Heidi Ritchie, she was a godly young lady, she grew up in a neighboring town, everybody knew her, she was popular, she was sweet, intelligent, she had devoted her life to be a missionary when she was younger, and she was just finishing college, 21 years old, came from a godly home, always in church, and she was, uh, one of her majors was an agricultural she was up north, I think in Ohio somewhere, and she was finishing out her some type of project for her senior thesis. And she was doing work in a cornfield, and there was an intersection in that cornfield, and a dump truck ran a stop sign, her head on, and killed her instantly. Instantly killed her, just in the prime of her life. She was 21, and her parents were so grief stricken by that. The whole church, the whole community was just scratching their head like why saying the question why are you sure you got the right one god you sure is this a mistake it seems so senseless it seems so meaningless and her parents drove up there to where that accident happened they sat at that four-way stop it was a dirt road now a dirt road in the middle of a cornfield up north and they sat there for hours holding hands weeping crying out to god and the time that they sat there which was hours, not one vehicle came through that intersection And they left with this, what are the odds? What are the odds? Do you know what the split second it takes to actually, for two vehicles to collide, all the things that have to line up for that to happen, especially at an intersection like that, and and here's my point, they had to really grab hold of this passage and trust God, because they couldn't find any meaning in, in what happened. They couldn't see any good thing from their perspective that did, but they had to trust God, and sometimes we do too. Sometimes we can't squeeze meaning. They just knew this. Somehow, what happened to their daughter, God meant it for good. He meant it in some deep and mysterious way that they couldn't see. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to the Lord our God. The things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. Some things God never reveals to us. Charles Spurgeon said this once. He says, when you can't trace God's hand, you have to trust God's heart right? That God is good, God is loving, God is kind. And ultimately, this should usher in humility. This should usher in humility to know how out of control we are. I can't even make it to church on time sometimes. That's how out of control my life is, right? I certainly am not going to be able to make something difficult become something beneficial, good, and redemptive. Only God can do that. It's humbling. Number two, how comforting this should be. If we embrace this, this is a breathtakingly comforting verse for us that there are no accidents. There's a verse in Proverbs 16:33 it says the lot is cast into the lap. Now this would be this will be the equivalent of oh man, not rolling dice, but kind of rolling dice. They they did some things in the Old Testament to help them ascertain what God wanted them to do in a given situation. They would cast lots, right? And this verse says the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every answer is from the Lord. <laughs> so I mean, Strictly speaking, for a Christian, we use terms like it was an accident. means we didn't intend for that wreck to happen. But in God's perspective, there's really no such thing as an accident. That doesn't mean God doesn't weep with us. He does. Jesus Christ was at the tomb of Lazarus, his friend. And Jesus knew that in five minutes, they were going to uncork the champagne bottle, right? And and there was going to be a celebration, a party. Because Lazarus was going to be resurrected from the dead. But still, Jesus stood at the tomb of lazarus and he wept he wept and he groaned the the word in greek is actually he groaned he snorted out of his nose that's what the word means in anger for seeing what sin did to a perfect creation and he groaned in his spirit why because he's sympathetic with us he's compassionate he shows empathy that's a powerful word empathy isn't it aren't you glad god has empathy for you and compassion He's not sitting up with his arms crossed saying, yeah, just take it. Take it, I brought that, now take it. No, he comes down off his throne and comes up and embraces us and weeps with us. He says, hey, yes, I've planned this into your life and I know it's hard, but you don't have to go through this alone, I'm here. And I've given you ultimate hope that this is not in vain. That's the last point, by the way. Let's move into it. This is not in vain. It's not senseless. Before I get there, though, maybe this will help. I'm always trying to use illustrations to help you. One of, my favorite, one of my favorite Disney movies, I guess, is Lion King. Came out when I was, you know, a lot younger. And there's a, there's a part in the Lion King movie where Mufasa and Simba, his new son, he's showing him everything that's in the kingdom. You remember this? And he says, look, Simba, everything the light touches is our kingdom. And then, of course, as children are ten, tend to do, he says, everything that touches the light Everything that touches light. He says, what about that dark shadowy place over there? And Simba, of course, says, can you, I can't read that. What's he say? That's beyond our borders. You must never go there. I really think that some Christians have a view of adversity and pain and suffering and trouble and affliction and heartache and tragedy. that's kind of like that. It's like, hey, you see everything that the light touches? This is the good things in life. And that's, that's God's kingdom, we're in it. Aren't you happy? And we say, what about that dark place over there? Like, God had nothing to do with that. Can I just tell you this, man, as your pastor? That's especially where God is. That's especially where his kingdom is ruling and reigning. That's where you want his kingdom. To, that's where you want his throne to be erected, right? Right there in the hardship of your life, where things don't make any sense from your vantage point, but from God's, they make perfect sense. This is for your good, to make you look more like Jesus. It's going to hurt, but it's for your good. It's not senseless. It has ultimate meaning. It has ultimate purpose. God is orchestrating this. This is not senseless. I love the fact that there are no qualifications here for all things. All things work together, except for that. No, that too. That too. The worst, most hideous thing you could ever possibly imagine that touches your life is for your good. Even the unspeakable betrayal and abuse and hardship. It's not some kind of cruel joke by God, and neither are you some kind of pawn on this divine chess game. You are a creature made in His image, fallen in sin, redeemed by Jesus Christ, and He cares so deeply about you that He is leaving nothing in your life to chance. Nothing at all. I've used this illustration before. Maybe this will help you. And we'll we'll close out here in a minute, I promise. We're getting there. What would it take for God to be able to do this? I mean, you think, okay, if my life is not really ultimately in my control, I'm a free, we're going to talk about this more in chapter 9 of Romans. I am a, I believe that we are free moral agents. We have a measure of freedom. I don't believe in free will, as it's technically called by philosophers and some theologians. I believe we have a fallen will. We are fallen in Adam. The heart is desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? But I also believe we have a free moral agency, meaning this. You can do as you please. But what is it that we see that human beings typically please to do? Right? Go away from God, right? And God uses He uses that. He uses even our our measure of freedom and sin. He draw he draws a straight line with a crooked stick. But anyway. This is what i wanted to say today we'll get more into those other things later i promise you i know as you read the rest of this verse 29 and 30 and especially as you get into chapter 9 you're like will somebody please help me with this yes i will i'm looking forward to that but we're not there yet what must be true of god for him to work every this is mind-blowing for him to work all the things that are going on it would be enough for him to just say hey i'm just going to pick one this is just too much for me i'm just going to pick one or two christians and the hard things in their life i'll work it out for them but this is too much for me <laughs> this is mind blowing every single christian who has ever lived this truth applies to even the ones that are christian right now imagine that what type of power and wisdom and sovereignty and authority and benevolence would it take for god to be able to accomplish that that blows my mind thank god i belong to him thank god i belong to him remember paul acts 27 He's standing in front of all these people on the ship in this tossed storm. They think they're all going to die. They fasted to to appease their God. And Paul stands before them and he says, Men, have no fear. You should have listened to me. We shouldn't have made this trip in the dead of winter, but have no fear before it. Because an angel of the Lord stood before me this very night. An angel of God to whom I belong. To whom I belong. And he told me that we're not going to lose one life. But what I love about that, where I was going with that is, he said, the God to whom I belong. Man, I just I, I need to be told that. I need to remind myself that. This God who's so glorious and gracious and sovereign and powerful, I belong to him. I don't belong to anybody else in the ultimate sense. I belong to that God. And this is what the Bible says. Now, this is the three-legged stool. And you know what happens when you break a leg off of a three-legged stool? You fall over. Is Pops in here? Where's Pops at? <laughs> Happened the other day almost, didn't it? Pop- <laughs> Pop, pops fixed my uh, my air conditioner for me. And I got a three legged stool and I put under him. And he was so into what he was doing, the stool was turned a cer- certain way. <laughs> anyway, thanks for fixing my AC, Pops. Even that was for our good. Uh, but when you when you break one of the legs off a three legged stool, you don't have a stool anymore. It's it's wobbly. It's unbalanced. So I have often, just for a theology class, have taught if you want to reduce. Oh, I hate to do this. I'm a fool for doing this. But if you have to reduce. The attributes of God to the three essential things in order for you to be secure and stable and anchored, what would they be? God is sovereign, God is wise, and God is good. Now, any of those taken by themselves is not particularly comforting to me. I could be the most intelligent person in the room, but if I have maliciousness in my heart, that's not good news. There are some people that are wise for evil, the Bible says, right? God is wise. He knows all things. He knows all, he has all the information in the history of the world and the universe. The divine mind, the intelligence of his mind is mind-blowing for us. We can't even fathom it. But also God is, is good. He's benevolent. He's kind. He's caring. He's generous. He's faithful. He's all of those things, and he's also sovereign. I mean, think of, think of somebody who has ultimate power, but they're corrupt. Is that good news at all? No. I don't want somebody in charge of my life that I can't trust. But those three legs of that stool is that God is sovereign. Nobody can say to him, what are you doing? No, You can, can, you can shake your little puny fist at God all you want, but he's still sovereign. But that's okay because he's good as well. If he was just sovereign and, and he was good, but he wasn't wise. Do you understand? These three things have to go together. And God is all three of them, which ultimately says that God is faithful. He's faithful to his people. He is a covenant-keeping God, and that is such good news for us. It's such good news. Now, look, how, how do we know this? How do we ultimately know that the worst things in our life can be used by God for the best things? And I, I don't want to close with this because of this, because the worst thing that ever happened in the history of the world is what? Now, before you answer that, there's some terrible things that happened. World wars, Holocaust. Abuse, children, sex trafficking, bereavement, death, loss, cancer, betrayal, loneliness, depression. There's terrible things that have happened. But I want to submit to you, there's one, you could say, historical act or event that happened that makes all the rest of them pale in comparison, and it's this. A perfect, innocent, righteous man was murdered wrongly. The only person in the history of the world who was ever truly innocent in the purest sense was betrayed and was executed unjustly. Jesus Christ, he was crucified unjustly. He was put on trial with a kangaroo court unjustly, not even according to Jewish standards of the day, and he was executed, and he was abandoned by his father. R.C. Sproul said this once. You know, we say, why do why do bad things happen to good people? Which is not really the right way to think about suffering because the Bible says there are none good, Right? In the ultimate sense, there's no good person except one. And R.C. Sproul, I love what he says. When we say, why do bad things happen to good people? He said, that only happened to one person, and he volunteered. (laughs) All right? So if the worst thing in the history of the world that ever happened, the crucifixion of Jesus, the betrayal, the murder, the execution, turned out to be the best thing that ever happened in the history of the world, amen? Amen. You want that tragedy to happen. You want that to happen. If that turned out to be the best thing, what does that say about your tragedy? If God could use the worst thing that happened to a righteous, innocent, blameless man, you can trust him with whatever affliction and hardship and pain and agony and betrayal and cancer and loneliness and depression and bereavement that happens in your life. Or financial collapse, whatever it is. God says you can trust him to work it out for good because he's already shown you he's able to do that. And he's willing to do it. You say, well, why did not God put some skin in the game? He did. He did that with his son. He he crushed his son, Isaiah 53 says. It pleased him to crush and bruise his son. He did that. You know why he did that? He did that ultimately so that you could look like his son. Man, that's good news. Listen, guys, there's much more here. There's much more here to put scuba gear on, so come back next week. We're going to close there, and I want to invite Vitaly, you coming up to to do our closing. I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus You are so good to us. You are so kind. You are so kind. to Let us chew on just the privilege. You didn't have to even give us this verse. This is in the Bible. This has comforted so many of your people throughout the ages, Lord. It sure has comforted me. I pray you would use it. Maybe if somebody's heard this and it was just blandly tossed to them when they were suffering and maybe they had a bad taste for this in their mouth, Lord, just seemed like something an uncaring Christian wanted to toss out and not enter into the world of pain, I pray, Lord, you would just give them another view of this today. May they see this as a precious truth to grab hold of. And Lord, I I pray that we would see the, the opposite side of this too. That if we are not counted in that number who have given our lives to Christ, maybe we're running away from God, we are resentful of his authority and rule in our life, we don't believe the gospel, we don't want anything to do with Jesus, then the opposite of this verse is true for us. All things are not working together for our good. They're ultimately working together for our downfall, our demise, our destruction. That will be a tragedy. I pray that no one in this room finds themselves in that place. But if they do, Lord, they would know that this is a loving, gentle, caring warning from their creator. Remember now, your creator, when you have breath in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come, and you don't have this truth to grapple with, I pray, Lord, you would draw them to yourself today. Your sovereign love would come and envelop them. You would convict them of their sin. You would remind them of your love for them, your invitation to come to Christ. He is willing to receive them. He has turned none away who have ever came to him for rescue with a humble, open, receptive heart, confessing and agreeing with God that they're a sinner. Lord, spare them from your judgment today. May they come to you with open arms and, and, a, and a tongue confessing that Jesus is Lord. And may this day, this day be the day of your redemption. Maybe somebody even watching from home, Lord, this will be a new beginning for them today. I pray it would happen. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, last thing I forgot before we close here. Can you guys see that? Somebody was gracious enough to, to print some cards for my wife, and, and they were promises in the Bible. And they have put Sarah's name in those promises. And she has a little wooden stand on our kitchen counter. And she puts these. It was funny, man. I was walking by. I was walking by randomly (laughs) earlier this week. And I saw this card. And I'm like, oh, wow. I'm going to take a picture of that, man. Maybe show it to our church. I want you, as you think about this verse this week, put your name. Put your name just like this in that verse. And we know that for Michael or for Lisa, who, know, who loves God, all things work together for good, for she who is called according to his purpose. Man, I need that. That personalizes something that can seem so abstract and just generic. God intends for you to believe this promise in your own life. You can do that right now as we sing. We, we've got a, a prayer team at the back. Would love for you to come, share a prayer request with us, share a burden with us, share a question with us. We have um, connect cards in the back. We don't pass an offering plate. You can leave your tithe and your offering there. We have a website that you can go up to the top and request prayer or request a meeting or some counsel. We want to serve you in any way we can this morning, so don't leave this place. If you have a burden on your heart or want to talk to somebody, please uh, give us the opportunity to do that. Amen. Amen.
2: would rocks cry out to worship, whose glory taught the stars to shine. Perhaps creation longs to have the words to sing, but this joy is mine. with a thousand hallelujahs we magnify your name you alone deserve the glory the honor and the praise lord jesus this song is forever yours a thousand hallelujahs and a thousand Who else would die for our redemption? Whose resurrection means I'll rise. There isn't time enough to sing of all you've done. But I have eternity to try. Amen with a thousand hallelujahs we magnify your name you alone deserve the glory the honor and the praise lord jesus this song is forever yours a thousand hallelujahs and a thousand more Oh, we will praise, we will praise your name, praise to the Lord, to the Lamb, to the King of heaven, praise. For heroes, now he reigns. We will sing forever praise to the Lord, to the Lamb, to the King of Heaven. Praise he rose now he reigns we will sing forever with a thousand hallelujahs we magnify your name you alone deserve the glory The honor and the praise, Lord Jesus, this song is forever yours. A thousand hallelujahs and a thousand more.
3: Thank you, Vitaly, and thank you, Tommy, for that word. Really, thank you, Lord, for an incredible promise. Man, uh, I just have a couple of announcements for us before we are dismissed. The first, we have some ambassador opportunities. That word ambassador is just the word we use for volunteer, uh, people who serve, uh, whether it's setting up in the back, setting up in the front, people helping teach our kids in the back. We have... Plenty of opportunities we have some holes that can be filled so if you have any interest at all you can scan this qr code check out our website or our app it's the church center app and you can let us know hey i'm i'm available to serve and you can choose from a, a list of options like places you're interested in serving tech team wherever you're gifted wherever you would be interested we would love to hear from you and we will plug you right in so ambassador opportunities let us know, you could either, you can, like I said, scan the QR code or email me, email Diane, and we'll, we'll get you plugged right in. Also tonight, we have our student ministry meeting. Uh, we announced last week, we have a home now for our student ministry, Emmanuel Presbyterian Church in Deland, just down the road, 1792. Uh, they have graciously offered to let us use their space. So now we're meeting every week, uh, Sunday nights from six to eight p.m. This is still led by Grace Life. It's still for Grace Life kids. We're just simply using their space. Um, so bring your friends, bring whoever you want, sixth through twelfth grade. We're gonna have a Bible study, have some snacks. It's gonna be it's gonna be a blast. Uh, last announcement: Our men's and women's gatherings are coming up uh, about once a quarter. We try to get together for a, a men's Bible study and a women's Bible study. Um, I believe women's is October 11th yes October 11th men's October 13th so it's the same week a Tuesday and a Thursday location is to be determined we will we will update you as soon as we have um, solidified places for those gatherings so with that stay into your feet we will read our charge this is something we read every week to remind ourselves of of our purpose, of who we are. We're not just the church in here. We go to be the church out there in our community. So let's read this together. I am a witness. I've been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent.